Hi, I'm Mel Majoros. I am a three-year cancer survivor. My blog, The Cancer Warrior, is one of the top ten breast cancer blogs according to blogs.com. I'm here to bring a fresh, upbeat perspective to a topic that to some may seem scary. A positive mental attitude got me through my cancer, and I hope to share that with you. Today we're talking to Owen Applequist. He is a two-time cancer survivor. And he does a lot of stuff outdoors. How are you today, Owen? I'm doing quite well, Mel. Thank you very much for having me on the Cancer Warrior. Yes, you're welcome. So two-time cancer survivor, let's uh, jump right in and tell me how you found out about the first one. And then we'll jump into the second one and go from there. Well, the first one, my mom told me I had cancer. (laughs) What? Yeah. Um, Let me back up a little bit. My mother is a physician. And for anybody who's had any major illnesses, cancer included, having a physician for a mother is quite helpful. That's kind of handy, yeah. Yeah, you know, getting prescriptions written, you know, oh. negotiating doctors, you know, getting special treatment, all those fun things. But the story started in uh, October of 2005. I had just moved back home to live with mom after college while I was waiting for my job with the U.S. Army to start when a lump was noticed. So I was put on some antibiotics and we were waiting for my temporary insurance through my short-term employer at the time to kick in. When, it was, when the antibiotics did not reduce the lump that we found underneath my neck, mom said, all right, I'm going to set you up with one of uh, my ear, nose, and throat guys, mm-hmm. and we'll see what he says. So I go in, he sees me pro bono because insurance has still kicked in, so they can't really officially put me on the books. Right. Uh, which is quite nice of him. Point number one goes to mom. <laughs> exactly. Then um, he says, okay, when insurance kicks in, come back and we'll you know, do a biopsy. I'm like, okay. Well, by that time, ski season had started, and I completely forgot about this lump growing under my neck. I mean, it was, I could still feel it, but it never really was something that I was eminently worried about because it didn't hurt. Right. It was just kind of there. And, and we were talking before the show, you're a, uh, you were a ski instructor at the time. Yes. Okay. I was a ski instructor at the time. And so I sit down and I was somehow given three days off in a row in the middle of winter from a ski shop. So I did the (laughs) natural thing. I went skiing for three days. Well, of course. Yeah. What else is there to do? On my way home, I call mom and mom's like, all right, um, we need to get, we need to get the, we got the biopsy results back and we need to talk. Uh Yeah. So, (laughs) well, she didn't actually tell me that. She just said, hey, when you come home, we need to talk about something. Oh. And so I'm like, all right, all right, what did my sister do? You know, what moronic thing did my brother get himself into now? <laughs> you know, what pieces am I going to have to put back together when I get home to help mom, you know, get straightened out? So I walk in, and mom's in her bedroom, and she's like, you have cancer. So I was really fortunate that I was told by, you know, someone who, if not loves me the most in this world, right. is in the top two. <laughs> Who's the other one besides you? My father. Oh, okay. <laughs> I know he gave me a kidney when I was sixteen, so you know his. Oh well, yeah. You know his love's pretty up there as well. I don't think I could have that much, you know, um, self-love. No. I know it's kind of hard to give myself a kidney. Yeah, that would be kind of hard. Oh, uh, <laughs> um, but so I had the privilege of mom telling me that I had cancer in our home in a place that was comfortable to me, that wasn't sterile, that wasn't cold, that mm-hmm. wasn't where 99% of the rest of the cancer 
That is um, that is very lucky. You know, so my story is one of just extreme luck from one end to the other, and I can't really figure out how I ended up getting so lucky. So um, that's kind of how I was how I was found the first time. And so what did what was your uh, course of treatment for all that? Um, the course of treatment was wait and see because oh. there was a lot of data they wanted to gather. As having a kidney transplant 15 or 10 years prior, they wanted to make sure that it wasn't any of the medication from my transplant that gave me cancer. And since I was exhibiting no symptoms and there wasn't anything physically deterring me from doing anything, they said, okay, we've got a little bit of time, which led me to the University of Pennsylvania and a physician called Dr. Donald Tsai, who studies transplant-induced lymphomas, or as I like to say, he has a PhD MD in me. <laughs> Mom and I spent approximately two, two and a half hours with this gentleman. And by the time we left his office, he knew my medical history, my mother's medical history, my father's medical history intimately that if he told Mom and I that jumping off the Brooklyn Bridge would cure me of cancer, we would have driven straight to New York and done that. I mean, this guy is, if there's any questions or any issues, we see him and talk and bounce it off him. Okay. All of that basically led to the determination that there was no evidence that my transplant played any role in the Hodgkin's lymphoma diagnosis. Oh, that's good. And so I was really, so again, you know, I come back, I was pretty lucky. The... Uh, the course of treatment that we did was uh, AV, DB, uh, adriamycin, vablastin, oh. decadron, and bleomycin. I had adriamycin. What a great drug. Matt. I just remember, you know, <laughs> the red one. I can't remember which one was. Yeah, the that was that was the one that made your pee turn red. Oh yeah. And thank goodness one. they tell you about that because that would be kind of like, um, hello. Yeah, you get home, you're like going to the bathroom. What the heck's going on? Oh my god, call the doctor. Call the doctor, you. Know. <laughs> no, because it doesn't. It's it's not watery. Right. You know, like you're, it, it's watery, so, but it doesn't look thick like you're actually peeing blood. Right. So you're kind of going, what? What's going on here? So yeah, they told me what was going on. Um, and the second major um, thing that I got lucky about was the job I took after college was working for the U.S. Army, and they offered a uh, compressed work schedule. Okay. So I could work nine hours Monday through Thursday and then give an every other Friday off, which corresponded to my chemo treatment. Oh, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So we'll back up. And the timetable was I was diagnosed in January of 2006. And how old were you? I was 26 years old. Wow, that's young. You know, I just, you know, like having a lot of fun. You know, some people, you know, uh, play football in high school. You know, I had a kidney transplant. Yeah. Some people, you know, <laughs> go off to college and join a fraternity. I studied math and physics. Mm-hmm. You know, after college, some people, you know, buy houses, you know, go on vacations. I get cancer. Right. It's just kind of, you know, how I roll. <laughs> so the uh, so in January, I'm diagnosed of, o- of 06. In April, I finally start treatment. We get all the, the details taken care of, and we finally all agree that it's a standard course of non-Hodgkin's lymph- or Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. and that there's no relation to the kidney transplant. So I'm doubly lucky. Well, then in May of 05, the U.S. Army calls and says, hey, your background clearance has gone through. When do you want to start work? 
and then being the uh, bright guy that I am, I go, well, let's see. I've got chemo treatment next Friday. How's the week after that sound? Oh and they're like, what? Well, they didn't know I had cancer. Oh. No, I wasn't about to tell them I had cancer because I wasn't about to jeopardize a job. Right. Because I knew this was a way for me to, A, meet my financial obligations, start getting out on my own, and at the same time, continue the treatment I needed to save my life. So then I made one of the one of my favorite phone calls in my life. I got the list of all the approved doctors for my new insurance plan and looked at just just looked at credentials. Didn't know anything about any of them other than where they went to school. And there was one who was trained at Johns Hopkins and was five minutes from where I lived. So I call up uh, Dr. Yvonne Adaviano's office, the Bel Air Oncology Center, which is primarily a breast cancer center. Okay. And I and this woman who is this charming Southern belle of a woman named Libby answers, and she goes, "Hi, my name. How can I help you?" And I go, "Hi, my name's Owen. I'm moving to Hartford County in Maryland in uh, two weeks, and I need to keen, I need to continue my chemo treatment. What do we need to do?" This is the only time in Libby's life I think she was ever speechless. <laughs> She's like, B- 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 um, "Okay." And I literally took her about 15 seconds to compose herself before she realized, okay, we're going to fax you the information request release sheet, and we'll be good from there. And so I moved after four chemo treatments from Allentown, Pennsylvania, to Bel Air, Maryland, to start a job. Wow. And then I was was pretty lucky that, you know, I got to walk in on my first day. I looked like a cancer patient. I was emaciated. I had no hair anywhere. <laughs> and everybody thought I was some, court of, some kind of gothic freak. <laughs> They're like, who is this guy? Oh, and the only thing they knew about me before mm-hmm. I started work was that I was a ski instructor. Oh. That's all they knew. Of all the things on my resume, that was the only thing that made it down to everybody, which was kind of funny. So... The uh, that was kind of that was kind of the cancer story for the first time. So I was, you know, Doctor O kept me on schedule. Uh, eventually, we dropped the bleomycin because of some lung tissue scarring that was developing. And in October of '06, I checked into the hospital for a week because I was just dehydrated and having trouble feeding myself. And then uh, I finally had my last chemo treatment on November 17th, 2006 which corresponded to a giant Baltimore crab feast with <laughs> all of my close friends. Awesome. And we made a complete mess of my roommate's living room, and I think there's still crab chunks there somewhere. <laughs> Does he still live there? Uh, no, she, she moved out. She moved but, out. But, you know, uh, I, we kept finding little bits of crab shell everywhere. That's funny. Yeah. So now you had, now you're working for the U.S. Army at yep. this time. Yep. So when did you find out about the second cancer? Um, about a year after I about a year after I finished treatment, the army sent me to Virginia for three months of graduate school. And while I was there, one of my pet CTs mm-hmm. came back hot. And so like, hmm, we weren't sure if it was just you know some residual flare up from the chemo, if it was new, what was going on. So I said, all right, we'll monitor. So we monitored it for several months. Finally, in um, November of 2007, we had essentially exhausted all non-invasive procedures. And after talking with one of my many doctors, they're like, listen, we don't have any good data. We need good data. We got to go in and we got to at least take a biopsy. So, okay. 
So we meet with a thoracic surgeon at Johns Hopkins, and he's like, okay, we're going to do, do a biopsy. We'll do it the, the first week in January. And we're like, okay, do you have any questions? <laughs> I'm like, yes, I have one. We're doing our annual family ski trip the next week. Will I be able to ski? <laughs> that sounds like me. When, yeah. I, when I was diagnosed, I'm like, they're like, oh, and you have to have a port pit. And I was like, you mean I won't be able to play hockey for two years? What? That was like my only concern. Right, really. right. It's, you know, cancer. You got to do it, but let's minimize how much it actually impacts the life, your, our life as much as possible. Yeah, that's kind of hard, though. <laughs> it is. It is kind of hard. You know, don't get me wrong. It is kind of hard. You know, I think I spent, I watched more TV, mm-hmm. you know, the yes. year and a half I had cancer than I have in my entire life combined. <laughs> I got so, I got addicted to The Biggest Loser, unfortunately, because of cancer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, although I will say that, you know, cancer turned me into a TV addict. Um, my transplant and these six months I was at home living in isolation mm-hmm. cured me of any desire to play video games. <laughs> I know just the idea of sitting down and playing a video game makes me nauseous. Really? I'm just like, yeah, because I played, I mean, I played for six months straight because oh, that's all gosh. I could do. You know, I do homework, but... You know, it didn't take long to do the homework. Once my homework was done, I'd play video games. I got really good at the game Civilization. Really good. <laughs> so, yeah, but, and I haven't played video games since. But the, uh, so finally in January, you know, we're driving, we're, we're actually flying in Utah, and I'm waiting for this phone call from my doctor going, when's he going to call with the result of what's going on? You know, because at this time, I had made the pledge to climb Mount Kilimanjaro in June of 2008, or five months later. So you made. Before I knew, I made the pledge to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and raise money for breast cancer research before I knew if I had cancer, if my cancer had come back. Well, don't you think they would have been uh, okay with the fact that you've had to move it to a different date (laughs) once they found out you were diagnosed? Probably. Probably. They probably would have would have been okay with that, but all I knew is that um, I wanted to go climb Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. I wanted to uh, go skiing, and what we what the, the results of the biopsy would either be one of two things: it would either be non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, mm-hmm. which means it would have been a transplant medication-related cancer. Okay. Or it would have been a relapse of the Hodgkin's lymphoma, and I would have been put on the table and prepared for a bone marrow transplant. So I was hoping that it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma because six months in isolation, you know, and having my immune system completely eviscerated just doesn't sound like a whole lot of fun. Well, no. Cancer isn't fun. No, no, (laughs) no. I I realize that cancer is not fun, but there are, you know... There are levels of um, of acceptance I'm willing to participate in. The line oh, from the Matrix true. is coming to coming to mind where the architect is talking to Neo in the third one, and he says, after Neo makes the claim that they're going to destroy everything and there will be no functionality left everywhere, the architect says there are levels of survival we are willing to accept. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's kind of the way you know cancer is if you think about it you know there's you know you really don't have a choice about whether you want to live or die very few people actively choose i want to die most people want to live and that's kind of where the generation the general fight in everybody comes from that's true is that visceral reaction like 
okay, I'm not ready to die. I don't want to die. What do I need to do to live? And then from then on out, it's a series of compromises. You know, you know what That's drugs true. do I take? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what long-term side effects am I willing to sacrifice? You know, what future issues will I, will I potentially be faced with if I do this particular course of action? And that's really what makes cancer so hard. Yes, there are the physical side effects that make, it, that make it daily unpleasant, but the emotional and long-term implications of some of the decisions that you have to make mm-hmm. are what is really the hardest part about cancer. That's true. I know. So, you know, here I was getting ready to go skiing, and I was, it was snowing in January. It was absolutely beautiful conditions in Utah, and I was waiting for this phone call. I mean, I don't ski with my phone because, <laughs> for me, that's, my, that's what I do to relax. Right. My phone stays in my car. I don't do anything while I'm skiing. For me, it's skiing. You know, I've got my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and my skis. Everything so else is good. It, all the chemo and stuff didn't make you tired? Um, because we didn't know the results of the biopsy, mm-hmm. we didn't start chemo. We weren't ready to start chemo until after I got back from Utah. Oh, okay. So in that respect, they did let me go skiing. They did let me set my schedule to some extent. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So finally, you know, it's the last day I'm in Utah. I check in at the airport. I go through security, and my phone rings. It's my doctor finally telling me that I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. I was so happy you couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was running around the airport smiling, high-fiving complete strangers. It was just absolutely nuts and pandonium. pandonium. And finally, one she goes, why are you so happy? Oh, I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they're like, <laughs> what? are you okay? I'm like, yeah, it means I get to go to Africa in June and go climb Mount Kilimanjaro. I know, because that's what it meant by having the transplant-induced cancer, right. not okay, the other one. So I was like, sweet, okay, moving <laughs> forward, let's start chemo, figure it out, you know, go forward. And then uh, I got back, started chemo, and three months after finishing chemo for the second time, I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro. Wow. Yeah. And you summited. I did summit, yes. Okay. I did, yes. I made it all the way to the top. Made it to, there is a, a picture of me mm-hmm. on... Uh, I see that. You, on the, the thing you sent me. Yeah. If you, if you go to facebook.com, Owen Climbs, you can see pictures of all of my climbing adventures or misadventures. <laughs> well, they're only misadventures if you don't make it to the top, right? They're only misadventures if you don't come home. Well, yeah. Getting to the top is not the goal, okay? It's very rare that you get to the top on every attempt, especially as you get into more technical and more difficult terrain. It's often that it doesn't happen. Okay. I mean, it took about, I want to say, eight or ten different K2 expeditions before we finally conquered it. It took, I want to say, probably 10 or 15 Everest expeditions before you know a human stood on top of Everest. So it's not um, common for people to summit on the uh, on at the same time okay. as, as their first attempt. So, you know, we were you know we were lucky. We we were we chose the Kilimanjaro trip when we did because that was the good climbing season and the weather. It was between rainy seasons, so the likelihood that we would get blown off the mountain is uh, is pretty small. Oh well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. You know, details. You know, it, it, and that's yeah. really that's really what climbing is 
why climbing and cancer are very similar. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense that you've got this big uphill struggle and you get to the mountaintop and you feel all relieved. No, that's, that metaphor I don't really like a whole lot <laughs> because 90% of a successful mountaineering expedition takes place before you step foot on the mountain. That's true. Okay? It's all about planning and preparation and putting your team together so that when you are ready to actually start implementing and doing the work, You've done all your homework. You know the route. You know the equipment you're going to use. You're comfortable with the equipment. You've got the right experts doing the right things to make sure you're in place to give you the best chance for success. I like that analogy. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. But, yeah, I use, I use hockey as an analogy to, for my fighting cancer because when, you, when you're playing the game and you get knocked down, you can't just, like, lay there while the mm-hmm. games keep going on. You've got to get up and keep skating, right. and, you know. Oh, yeah. So so how many mountains have you climbed? Well, um, I've climbed one, well, a couple pre-cancer because okay. I was in the Boy Scouts uh, growing up, and I went to a great place called Philmont Scout Ranch that uh, three times where I climbed several different mountains down there, namely Mount Baldy. Mm-hmm. And then while I was working there one summer, I climbed the highest peak in New Mexico called Mount Wheeler. And I think that's the seventh highest place, highest peak in the country, which is kind of cool. Uh, so that was kind of my first real foray into mountain climbing. But um, Kilimanjaro was the first real big mountain I climbed. And then the following year, I went to Iceland climbing three different peaks, uh, one of which was almost, we almost climbed the one that blew up and put that huge cloud over Europe and caused all those air traffic hassles. Oh, right. <laughs> um, yes. And the only reason we didn't climb it is because it was raining that day. Oh. So uh, in exchange, we climbed another mountain. And 24 hours after we got off that, that replacement mountain, the Icelandic Geological Survey closed that mountain to hiking and mountaineering because of volcanic um, activity. activity. Mm-hmm. So there's a good chance that the mountain we were on was going to blow. So I was like, oh, all right. So I climbed <laughs> that. And then this past... July, I went to um, Washington to climb Mount Adams. Now, the now Adams, are people uh, supporting you to do this, or how does how are you funding all this? Well, the way it works is there's a Baltimore nonprofit called Climb for Hope that raises money for a Johns Hopkins breast cancer researcher to help pay for equipment, for vaccine production, for lab fees for salaries and things like that and she is a climber and she partnered up with another climber and they modeled climb for hope after uh, the leukemia and lymphoma society's team in training but rather than doing marathons and triathlons we climb mountains and in the past four years the climb for hope has raised over four hundred thousand dollars for her for her and her research. Um, and it's, they kind of helped me develop my love for climbing and having a lot of fun. And so last September, I have a very good friend named Beth Silverman who told me about this fantastic organization called First Ascents. Right. And First Ascents' sole focus is to provide adventure-based therapy for young adult cancer survivors. Because, Mel, as you know, mm-hmm. our prognosis is worse than any other segment of the cancer population. Yes. 
we're dying faster, we're getting hit with more severe versions of cancer, and because we're such a small segment of the cancer population, the lack, there's a serious lack of resources. Yes. And so they, uh, she put me in touch with them, and they brought me out for a week of camp, and it was a life changer. You know, it was the first time I was able to interact with other young adult cancer survivors. Because, as was probably the case for you, you know, everybody was 20 or 30 years older than me in my chemotherapy room. Yes. You know, I was the kid. You know? I, I know, and this sounds funny. There was a survivor's dinner that I went to, the first one that I went to, and I felt like I was at the 5 o'clock dinner at Denny's because yeah. we were the youngest people there, my, myself and my fiancé. It's like, um, there's nobody here who's under 60. Yeah. Now, there is, you know, an advantage of that is you were, at least I was spoiled rotten by everybody. <laughs> you know, it's like, I hey, wasn't. But... You know, we're going to Arby's. Do you want something? Hey, we've got cake today. Would you like something? You know, and they kind of took pity on me because I was the youngest um, at the time. And they were like, oh, wow, we're just going to kind of dote on you. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was. It was really awesome. So, the, you know, the nurses and the patients at Bel Air Oncology were phenomenal in helping me keep my spirits up and go forward. Um, but, you know, so I get, to, I get to camp in September, and I meet all these other young adult cancer survivors, you know, ranging in 18 to 39, and we're just kind of hanging out because what's really nice about, at least in the young adult world, we don't care what kind of cancer you've got. Right, because it's know? all the same. Right. I mean, side effects-wise. Exactly. You know, you've got the nausea, you've got the, uh, mm -hmm. you know, the diarrhea, you have, you know, the hair loss. Yeah. Oh, I had the constipation, just so you know. Oh, okay. See, I had, I had the diarrhea. Mm -hmm. But nobody cares what the side effects are. Right. You know, we're all just like, all right, because, you know, we're all sitting around going, oh, my gosh, we're supposed to be in school. We're supposed to be starting our job. We're <laughs> supposed to be starting our family. Yes. Not fighting this disease that old people get. Right. That, you know, so be able to just hang out and relate is awesome. And so this... Uh, coming June, I will be climbing uh, Mount Hood with a team from First Ascents to that's raise sweet. money for First Ascents. And that's going to be an awesome expedition, and it's going to be a lot of fun because it's all cancer survivors, and we're all climbing, and we're all having fun. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've heard good things about First Ascent. I had a friend who did the kayaking version of that as well. You should come. Uh, we'll see. Why not? What's, what's, <laughs> what, what's your reluctance? Oh, my reluctance is just my schedule, that's all. Not okay. any reluctance to climb a mountain at all. Okay. Kayaking, I have, I'm not a very good swimmer, and I don't like the in, the sit-in kayaks. But that's just me. Okay. See, here's the great thing. You know, um, FD Kayaking Camp mm -hmm. will only um, ask you to do what you think you're capable of doing. Oh, okay. And so if, you know... Doing an Eskimo roll in a sitting still pond is the highlight of the week for you, and you ride in a raft the rest mm -hmm. of the week, oh. they're totally cool with that. Oh, okay. They're well, not going cool. to push you to move beyond what you don't feel comfortable doing. Well, yeah, having a cancer survivor uh, die on their watch wouldn't be good PR. No, no, that would be, <laughs> that would be definitely bad PR. <laughs> no, but, uh, yeah, like Tamika Fielder of Tamika and Friends yes. is coming this year. Oh, awesome. Yes. Yes, I'm actually going to the, um, I don't know if you're going to go to the OMG Summit this year in New York, and I'm meeting a whole bunch of people that I've had on my show, like Tamika. 
Sweet. And, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. I wish I could, but I've got a speaking engagement on that oh, Saturday. Oh, wow. You're doing what I'd like to do as well, speaking engagement. So. Yeah, unfortunately, I'm not getting paid for it. You've got to start somewhere. It's exactly. Good. Exactly. It's all got to go. You can only go uphill, right? Exactly. But... Um, so now you're doing, when are you doing the first descents uh, climb? Um, I will be, I'm actually doing two camps this year. I'm doing the Mount Hood climb mm-hmm. in June, and then I'm going to hang out in Portland for a couple of days with some friends and do a kayaking camp nice. the, uh, the following week because I'm still eligible to attend camp as a camper. They have a three-camp attendance rule. Oh. And so what they've done, and they've done something really neat, is they've got FD1, FD2, and FD experience. Mm-hmm. FD1 is the camp that first-time campers go to. So if you've never rock climbed, you've never kayaked, you know, and this is your first time at First Ascents, they are going to um, put you in that camp, and they're going to introduce you to the whole idea of FD. So then once you're an alumni, they've decided they're going to create a second level called FD2 where the alumni can come. And you can go to either a kayaking camp or a rock climbing camp. Actually, this year they've also got a surfing camp in Southern California. Nice. So the learning curve is a little steeper well, yeah. uh, because <laughs> everybody's been through something before. Mm-hmm. And then you can do two FD2 camps before you graduated from the program, if you will. But then even if you finish that and you still want to do something, they have what's called FD Experience or FDX. And the FDX camps are a fundraising camp where you fundraise, you know, X amount of dollars to cover the cost of going to camp Mm -hmm. and sending two or three campers to camp. Okay. So it costs FD approximately $1,000 to send a camper to camp. Mm -hmm. So to climb Mount Hood... I have to raise $2,000 because that'll send two campers to camp and cover, you know, my expenses. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how do you, is it, I mean, is it free for cancer survivors, First Ascents? The, yes. So First Ascents is, is a free week of camp. Mm-hmm. But so you have to pay the airfare to get there and stuff. If you can't pay the airfare, they do offer some limited travel scholarships. Oh. So FD1 is completely free. Mm-hmm. FD2 they ask you to try to raise $1,000 and send somebody to camp nice. the first time. Okay. If you can't do that, they're still going to let you come, okay? But they ask you to sign up for Team FD, which is their fundraising arm, and just try to raise some money. Okay. Okay, whatever you can raise, they're happy with. If you go to your second FD2 camp, then you have to raise $1,000 to send somebody to camp. Okay. Okay, so first year of FD is free. Second year or first year of FD1, is raise whatever you can. Third year or second year of FD2 is $1,000 to send somebody to camp. So your third year of camp or your second year as an FD2 participant, you have to raise $1,000. And after that, you're no longer, you've then graduated out of the program. But if you still wish to participate, then you do an FD experience and you have to raise uh, you have to send two or three campers to camp depending on the trip and the nature and things like that. So this year's FDX camps is class three and four whitewater kayaking in the Salmon River in Oregon nice. and climbing Mount Hood. Yeah, see, I think I would like the kayaking part. Yeah, see, you should come. 
You may have totally to schedule done. it for next year. Okay. Sweet. You mean you're already booked up through this year? It's possible. Oh, okay. I do a lot of events in the summertime, as you know, since it is the East Coast. We only do, there's only uh, a limited amount of time outdoors for outdoor activities, so my summertime gets pretty uh, busy with Wait, cancer where? events. I'm not. A- wow. So, um, <clears throat> Owen, how can people get a hold of you if they want to learn more about your climb or maybe if they want to talk to you about first descents or ask you for uh, REI uh, discounts? No, I'm kidding. Yeah, no, believe me. <laughs> you know, when all my friends found out that I worked at REI, it's like, okay, so what kind of discounts can you get us? I'm like, I told I you before the show, I had a friend who, like, her eyes got really big, like, what? REI? Like, she almost just started drooling before <laughs> breakfast and everything. So, yeah. Um, the easiest way to get a hold of me is one of two ways. You yes. can either email me at owen at owenclimbs.com. Mm-hmm. And the other way is to go onto my Facebook page, facebook.com backslash owenclimbs. And there you can see pictures of my trips, read about me, and contact me through Facebook if that's your preferred medium. Thank you so much for joining me today, Owen. I'm going to wrap up like I usually do. Sure. This is The Cancer Warrior. You can always find me on Facebook because I am a Facebook junkie, Mel Majoros. Become a fan of the show, The Cancer Warrior, on empowerradio.com on Facebook. Check out my website, thecancerwarrior.net. And as always, life looks pretty good from where I'm sitting. Sending you good vibes. It's The Cancer Warrior on empowerradio.com.